and welcome back to the Bug in a Rug podcast. As always, my name's Caitlin. As usual, I'm Whitney. And today marks the third day that the cats have been naked. <laughs> Only three? I really thought it had been longer than that. It might that. be long. Oh, no, I try to put them on when we go to work. Just so we can hear them running at us when we open the door. Yeah, they're... Their collars have been off. I'm not exactly sure where they are, if I'm I think they're honest. in my room. I think. I think. Well, we'll try this one more time. Whitney, what have you been doing for the past three days? The I mean, weekend? We tried to record an intro moments ago, and Caitlin called me out for rewatching Gilmore Girls and starting <laughs> on season five. I can't help it that at one point in time I had started over and I got to season five and stopped. I'm just picking up where I left off. There's a lot of seasons, though. Yeah. In other news, (laughs) the thing I learned today that I think is more important than the fact that I started rewatching Gilmore Girls is that the guy who plays Gideon on Criminal Minds is also Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. Yeah. And I've been trying to process it (laughs) for, like, five hours now, and it's just not... It's not working, but once you... If you've watched both of those, if you watch Criminal Minds, look it up because it's so obvious that I'm like shocked that we never put two and two together before. I've watched both of them. I've watched Criminal Minds a couple times through and we love The Princess Bride Mm -hmm. and the fact that I never put it together. Because he looks like obviously younger in The Princess Bride, but like he looks the same because he's the same person. I know, but it's wild to me. In other news, I bought a bigger fish tank for my fish. (laughs) Oh, Gregory. Oh, Gregory. And uh, I had to help her put it together. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty big. So we've had an eventful week. I hope that your uh, week in quarantine has been not too boring and that you've mm-hmm. caught up on our previous episodes. Yep. Uh, today, Caitlin has a news story for us that yes. I know absolutely nothing about yet. Yeah, I wanted to keep it a secret because it's kind of crazy and I had never heard of it before. I do know you watched a documentary about it today. I did. Because so, I had to stay out of your room. Yeah, <laughs> you probably heard it. It got very intense. We'll talk about it, but it, it was... Camping? They went camping? No. No camping. Intense? What's our story about? Am I going to say, uh, excuse me, I'm talking. Sorry. Is it going to keep me up at night? How many episodes of Gilmore Mm. Girls I'm going to have to watch after we're done recording before I feel okay enough to go to bed? I don't know. It's not necessarily spooky scary, but to me it's very much like you never know what might push someone over the edge. Oh. Into real anger town. Anger town? Yeah. I don't you know. You don't know what they'll do to get back at you. Oh. I've seen... Hmm. You've never seen anything like this. <laughs> well, I don't know because I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know if I've ever been in anger town. Ever? Well, I've Not been this in... far. You didn't move in like this guy did. No. I might... I have, like... Driven by Angertown. Okay. Maybe, like, stopped in, browsed some shops. Okay. But I wouldn't say that I've ever moved into Angertown. Like, he was a permanent resident. He was a permanent resident of Angertown. For a while. Interesting. 
Mm. It might keep you up at night, but more in like a wow. That was crazy. Mm. So, I found this story because like we said, there is a documentary about it. It's on Amazon Prime. It is called Tread. I heard about the documentary because I listened to another podcast, of course. It's called True Crime Obsessed. And what they do is they'll watch documentaries and then they basically talk about the documentaries on their podcast. And normally it's like true crime related. This isn't why you asked me if someone in Gatsby got hit by a car, is it? No. Okay, no. I just want to make sure tread, like tire tread. I'm just like making sure. No, I read and watched The Great Gatsby, but I always, I don't know. I just remember it being slightly confusing to me for some reason. Yeah. So... I just always need to make sure that somebody got hit in a car. Hit by a car. In hit the in a car. Yeah. I mean, someone yeah. was in the car when they hit somebody, so technically... Uh, someone got hit by a car, and then he, like, killed himself in the pool later. Yeah. That's all I know about the Great Gatsby. And Daisy was kind of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Got it. Done. Don't need So to... was her, like, hubs, husband. Well, yeah, but, like, her clearly he been... was. I don't know why you had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i want to feel included i like it no that's true if you know more about the great gatsby than we do let us know i'm sure you do <laughs> most people most people do the majority <laughs> the majority of the population anyway uh, anyway so i listened to this podcast true crime obsessed they talked about the documentary i thought it was the one of the most insane things i've ever heard so I decided to do some research, which included watching the documentary. And I very much, I, I highly recommend watching it even after listening to this. And I highly recommend listening to their podcast because it's hilarious. I just find it interesting because like this morning or last night you said, yeah, I'm done. Or almost done. No, I didn't. With, yes, you did. <laughs> with my, with writing my story, it might be kind of short. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to watch a documentary on it. And I just didn't, I just missed the, how adding a whole documentary was going to be almost done. <laughs> okay. You just you're just going to critique my methods of research? No, I just thought it was impressive that you decided to take the time to do that. When you well, thought- I, because I didn't want to like copy what they did, obviously. I don't even know where we were at. Caribbean flat jack purple zebra horse. <laughs> I'm gonna make you very uh, confused, of course. You already did. Okay, anyway. Our story today is about a man named Marvin Hemeyer. I'd be in Angertown, too, with a last name like that. I'm really? Sorry. I liked the name Hemeyer. I thought it was a cool name. What's the name? H-E-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Marvin Hemeyer. What is the name that Dad always said... You can change your last Jesus name when you Christ, get married. Whitney. It's Jason Bourne. <laughs> it's not what it is. Change your last remember. name. That's fine unless you're getting to somebody with the last name blank. It wasn't even close to Hemeyer, I can tell you that. It wasn't, but like, what's his first name? Marvin. Not Jason. I'm thinking Jason Bourne. Oh, Marvin my Hemeyer. God. After a quick call to our father and a discussion about how Whitney always makes me mad when we record, (laughs) we are back. The last name that we are not allowed to ever have is... Hicklebickle. Hicklebickle. 
But that starts because you and I, when we're on long card trips with our parents, we will go, hey guys, would you still love us if we had insert blank last name? Or would you still love me if I laughed like, like this? this? Insert laugh here. <laughs> usually. No, not usually. A lot of times mom says no. Yeah, a lot of times <laughs> mom says no. That's right. That's right. But we do annoy her a lot, I feel like, when we do that stuff. But it came about, didn't it? Because we were like, would you still love us if our last name was Hickle Bickle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. He Meyer is a lot. It's not as bad. Bad as Hickle Bickle. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, let us know if you know someone with the last name Hickle Bickle. I apologize to that person. Whitney will marry them. I might. <laughs> I want to be Dr. Hickle Bickle more than I've wanted just about anything today. <laughs> It'd be a great name. It would be a great name. All right. Anyway, now that that's over, that's the story. We're done. No. <laughs> you know it'd be embroidered on my jacket? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Dr. Hickle Bickle's a great name. I have a little sign on my desk. Yeah. Outside my practice. Absolutely. Online when you look me up. I love it. Let's do it. Find us with someone with the last name Hickle Bickle. You know what the worst part about that is? Mm. Every patient that I have when someone asks them what who their family doctor is, they'd have to write down Dr. Hickle Bickle. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone thinks they were making it up. Yeah. Kids would love it. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's like a Dr. Seuss character almost. Mm-hmm. That's basically me. Yeah. I mean, I speak for the bees. <laughs> I mean, not the trees, because that's taken. That's the Lorax. That's the Lorax. I'm Hicklebickle, and I speak for the bees. <laughs> I'm Hicklebickle, and I speak for the nickels. Nickelback. Nickelback. <laughs> People hate them a lot, and I don't know why. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Marvin Hemeyer is what our story is about. So I'm going to give you a little background about Marvin Hemeyer. So I will probably I call I excuse me. Take two. This is not take two. Everybody (laughs) in the documentary called him Marv. So if I jump between Marv and Marvin, it's the same dude. Okay? Just so you know. So Marvin Hemeyer was born in South Dakota on October 28th, 1951. But he eventually fell in love with the state of Colorado. So he joined the Air Force and was actually stationed in Colorado. So that's how he um, was introduced to the state, I guess. And uh, he was there throughout the early 1970s. He was pretty much there the whole time he was in the Air Force. And while he was in the Air Force, he became an excellent welder and a machine expert. So he worked a lot with engines and like all the different types of vehicles, but he specialized in welding. So after the Air Force, Marvin decided to stay in Colorado, where he worked in several muffler shops. As time went on, he basically decided that he could do the job himself better than the people he was working for. So he opened up his own muffler shops. He opened up a couple in northern Denver in the Boulder area. Yes, down in front. Your hand was raised. I'm trying to interrupt you less. Muffler, as in like a car muffler. Yes. Not the one you stick your hands in if you're fancy and cool. That is not called a muffler. What's it called? A muff. (laughs) You know, I thought maybe I was wrong, but I just wanted to clarify. Educating the masses out here, aren't we? A lot of teachers say that no question is a stupid question because there's probably somebody in the back of the room that has the same question as you. Right. There's no one else here. Right. So you listen to the background, hopefully. 
Yes. Learned that he was in the Air Force, became a welder, worked with machines. I was really... But then you were like, "Mm, nope, he made muffs. (laughs) Mufflers. And... (laughs) I was really hoping he brought in his horizons and dove into the fashion industry. Cool. Because it would just have made me happy for him to make that leap. And I know you're disappointed. I, I, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But there might have been someone out there listening who thought the same thing I did. The chances are slim. Mm Mm-hmm. But at least I raised my hand. You're right. I did appreciate that. Okay, so now that we've moved past that. (laughs) In early 1991, Marvin decided to move to Grand Lake, Colorado. And he wanted to live near this area because there were communities right near the Rocky Mountain National Park. And he kind of wanted to feel that small town vibe while getting the benefits of, like, the. it was beautiful scenery. Right, I was going to say, it's probably a gorgeous place to live. Yeah, absolutely. And if he likes, like, skiing or whatever, there's recreational activities, Mm -hmm. but you still get a small town vibe. Right, exactly. Best of a lot of worlds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what he was going for. Um, So, by 1992, he had settled in and opened Mountain View Muffler in Granby, Colorado, which was roughly 16 miles away from Grand Lake, so where he was living. Yes. This would have been a great place for muffs. Maybe they had some. Just not at his shop. Just not at his shop. Wow, what a crossover that would be. Mufflers and muffs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ear muffs too. Oh, Dang. Oh my goodness. And muffins. Yeah. Oh, there we go. We got it all. And you'd have to have somebody named Muffy who like ran the place. That's a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call it? I don't know. I wouldn't call it Muffies. Mufftopia. Okay, I hate this. <laughs> Anyway, Marvin was, basically everybody thought he was the best in the business when it came to, like, mufflers and welding, of course, because he learned in the Air Force. So a lot of people would go to him for help, so many members of the community really liked him because he was always willing to help them out. He He always did a good job, so many people got to know him through that, and a lot of people thought he was a nice guy. Should I not be getting attached to Marvin? (sighs) This is why it's sad. It could go either way. Okay. And we'll talk about it as we go on. Okay. Okay. So Marvin described himself as, quote, a self-made single man, and he enjoyed running his shop while snowmobiling with a close-knit group of friends. So how you said that he probably could move to the area if he liked to ski or do any of those things. So he was really into snowmobiling, and him and up to 20 individuals would actually get together every Thursday just to ride snowmobiles and hang out. So a lot of people said that he liked working with the muffler shop and he enjoyed doing that, but he basically only did it to be able to do this snowmobiling hobby. Work hard, play hard. Exactly. Or like, why not? Work to play. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is kind of what it sounded like he did. So a lot of people that he snowmobiled with gained a lot of respect for Marvin because he was always willing to help them out with their snowmobiles. He would basically customize and like weld certain things for their snowmobiles and help them put it on or help them fix them because he had, you know, a good eye for things like that for machinery. Um, and so a lot of people held him at a high respect. They really, really 
They liked him. They, they liked hanging out with him. So during this time, he also met and started dating Trisha McDonald. So she said that they always had fun and that she felt very safe with him during their many adventures. So she had been divorced before this and he was the first person that she basically started dating after like five years. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of nervous about the whole thing, but she said they had so much fun and she, she really enjoyed spending time with him. Not all was happy. Uh Uh-oh. Unfortunately, Marvin quickly became involved in town politics, having his first conflict when he bought the property that would house his muffler shop. So the property that he eventually built his shop on was actually sold at an auction. So it was a foreclosed piece of land. I don't exactly know how that works, but basically that's what was happening. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's like the city can take your land if you're not paying taxes, taxes or something. Or if, yeah. you, if you were purchase it from someone else and like you couldn't make the payments, eventually they're like, okay, well, we're going to auction off and get what money we can from right. it. I know downtown that's how some of the um, people who run different charities in Wheeling got, they their, stuff. got their stuff for mm-hmm. like a couple dollars like a ridiculous amount because the city was like well someone will buy them right and then uh either they're not being used and someone will buy them or at least that person will make payments on them yeah true so it it that's kind of how it works yeah. i think so marvin recalls that he was bidding against two other people to get this particular piece of land it was about 2 acres so he said that a man named Cody Dochiff and another man named Gus Harris were there together and they were interested in purchasing the piece of land as well. Marvin eventually won the bidding war but was not pleased with the behavior of the other two men. He claimed that Cody came up to him after the auction and told him off for about 10 minutes. However, Cody and Gus don't recall ever speaking to Marvin after the auction and claim that they didn't even bid on the land. So they basically said that they just go to the auctions to have something to do. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, we weren't interested in any land at that time that we remember. We don't think we bid on anything. Hmm. If we did, it was like a spur of the moment thing. We weren't mad that we didn't get it. So it's like a he said, he said kind of thing. Right. So you have two sides of the story, Hmm. which is when you brought up, do you feel... Are we supposed to be on Marvin's side or not? We don't know. We don't know. A lot of this is up to opinions. And you'll see that a lot of it is Marvin and his friends versus this other group of people that we'll talk about more. Has no one else come forward and said, like, like the auctioneering people would have known if they were the ones bidding I don't know if they remember because the situation basically grew over, like, years. Gotcha. So... I mean, I don't think anybody really remembers what happened that particular day. Mm -hmm. So after claiming the land for himself, Marvin was asked by the county board to, or city board, whatever, to set up a water and sewer line if he wished to run a business. So Mm -hmm. there was no, like, legitimate water and sewage connecting him to, like, the main lines. Yeah. But he was, like, he didn't think he was going to need that because he was, like, I don't I don't know if he didn't want a bathroom or whatever. So he wasn't expecting that when mm-hmm. he bought the property. Yeah. So Marvin claimed that the nearest hookup, so the nearest line that he could hook up to, would have been hundreds of feet away and that this could cost him up to $80,000. Wow. So he basically flat out refused to make the connection. And at first, nothing really happened about it. So Marvin 
took this as a personal attack by several members of the board. Basically, them coming after him to say that he needed to get this water and sewage situation figured out. And he was like, I'm not paying any thousand dollars. You can't make me. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of a back and forth thing. So one of the people was Ron Thompson, who I believe was the vice president of the city board at the time. And then another man named Casey Farrell. So they were friends with Cody and Gus. Mm. So he was kind of thinking that they were ganging up on him to Mm -hmm. help out Cody and Gus. Or to get back at him for taking the land from Cody and Gus. The problem there is, like, I don't know what the law is in that town. Yeah. But I know in a lot of places, if you're going to build a business... Mm -hmm. You have to have a water and sewage yes. permit. Yes, and that's what they were so, telling him. So, e- even though it was, I can understand it was far away. Like, it's not super fair for him to have to build it all the way over there. Right. But if you bought that land and you wanted a business, you should know that the law of what you have to have involved exactly. in order to have, like, a business permit. Right. Well, I think Marvin was kind of saying that nobody told him that when he was trying to figure it out. Yeah. And so... He Whether they did or they didn't, I don't know, but he felt like they were doing it on purpose. He felt blindsided. Like, he got got kind of duped over. Right, exactly. So, the Thompsons, so remember, Ron Thompson was the vice president, so he had a really big hand in, you know, telling him that he was going to need a water and sewage line to run his business. So, his family, the Thompsons, were a very prominent family in the area. They had lived there for a really long time. So, they owned a lot of land and they owned a lot of businesses. So, it was like Ron Thompson and then he had like three or four sons and they each ran their own businesses. So, they were kind of, you know, everybody knew them. They had a really big um, excavation company in the town and so they they had a lot of power in that sense they were on the board everybody knew them i think their dad was like the mayor at one time so you know marvin like i said believed all these people were working together and so him and his friends said that it was them versus the good old boys club (laughs) which he included like the higher up people of the town these individuals were not the only town members that were quote unquote out to get Marvin. By 1994, Marvin was actively petitioning to legalize gambling in Grand Lake. I've read this in an article, but it wasn't in the documentary. Um, many people disagreed with this. A lot of people were like, we don't want this. Some news reporters kind of were fighting him pretty hard on this. And so he made even more enemies on the town board and things like that. This all happened in the early 1990s. Cut to 1998. Okay, so a couple years have gone by. A couple years have gone by. Probably building tinches over little tiny things in the meantime. Right. Yeah, little things here and there that um, didn't go his way. And it's always him against these people. So, you know, tensions are growing. Mind you, he still doesn't have his water and sewer line. Okay. He never built it. So it's it's been like six years and he still doesn't have it. So, the city spot-zoned a two-mile area right across the road from Marvin's muffler shop. So, I looked up what spot-zoning was because I didn't get it. Yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) Spot-zoning is the process of singling out a small parcel of land to be used in a way totally different than what the surrounding area is used for. Okay. Most of the time, this is to the sole benefit of the owner, the person that's going to get the land, and it's usually detrimental to the people surrounding the area. 
Okay. So what was, it's often considered illegal. Okay. Now, there is a way to do it, I believe, that isn't illegal. There's like loopholes somewhere. Right. I don't know how they did it. This particular piece of land was to be used for Cody Dochef. We're coming back to this guy. Mm -hmm. His concrete plant. So he wanted to build a concrete plant. Since it was not, since the spot zoning was not protested within 30 days, it was considered legal. Now, if that's a true law, at the time, I don't know. But that's how it worked. That's how the city board said that he could do it. So Marvin took this very personal and thought that this was another attack uh, from the good old boys. Marvin tried to fight the concrete plant by gathering individuals that lived nearby in order to protest. Mm -hmm. So it was like his muffler shop. Then right across the road was going to be this concrete plant. And they showed like an aerial view in the documentary. And there's houses nearby, like right Mm -hmm. nearby. And there's like a couple other small businesses. So I can see where he might think that this and these people might think there could be an issue. So they went to the city council and brought up that there could be dust Issues, noise, a lot of traffic. Yeah. And then issues with the water and other things like that. He could have been right. Who knows what's going to happen with the concrete plant. You know what I mean? Well, if you're taking a a fairly residential area with a couple small businesses Mm -hmm. and putting in a huge plant where they... I don't think it was that big. It was more like a concrete business. Oh, okay. I mean, it was big, but it's not like an industrial size thing or anything like that. It's going to be bigger than his, but it's not like huge or anything right. like that. I guess the question is, you know, is it operate 24 hours a day? Right. Is there going to be a ton of dust to where mm-hmm. the air quality is going to be? Because then the residents could be upset. Right. And then is it like where our mom and dad live, where you have those big trucks going back mm-hmm. and forth. And the road gets ruined. and Right. Yeah. The road gets ruined and it's a hazard to mm-hmm. the residents with those big trucks on a very sh- small road. Right. Like, those kind of things I can understand being upset. But at the same time, like, we don't know. Right. So, he brought all this up and a lot of people came and they had, like, five or six town meetings about it. Like, mm. just about this to discuss it. So, in the summer of 1999, the city board decided that the positives outweighed the negatives. So, they were thinking, it's a good business, could get people jobs, it could be really helpful if people need concrete, we can get it pretty quickly, pretty cheaply, we know the guy that makes it. So, they also said, in the documentary, there was a guy who was on the board at this time, and he basically said, he said that they were trying to show Marvin that they... They appreciated what he was bringing up because he was bringing up all this stuff and he was like, we would be like, oh, we didn't think of that. Cody, Mm -hmm. can you fix this? Mm -hmm. Cody would say, okay, we can fix this. They approved it, but they said a lot of conditions that Marvin brought up or that other people brought up. Right. They were trying to make a compromise. Right. Well, Marvin did not see it this way, (laughs) which I mean... Okay, I can make sense. Some of the residents were probably upset about it, too. They sure. shouldn't want it near them. Again, it didn't really work in everybody's favor, but the interviews of the city board, they thought they were trying to make everybody happy. And they they were trying didn't to, work out. Right, they were trying to compromise. Right. Although... I mean, in their minds, again. Yeah. In, it, when you're on the end of the losing side of things, the compromise never seemed as good anyway. So yeah. it, it was going to be disappointing. Right. Either way. Either way. Yeah. So as this was happening, the town was taking another look at Marvin's water and sewage situation because oh, no. Cody was going to have to hook up to water and sewage as well. Mm-hmm. They discovered that Marvin 
like hadn't done it, like I said. And so he was called to municipal court. Municipal court. Municipal court Mm -hmm. where Judge Noriyuki decided he couldn't use his property until the issue was resolved. So he couldn't like use his business until it was resolved. However, now Cody's property was in the way of where he would connect. So once again, we have two sides of a story. This is bad. People claimed that Cody offered him an easement to go through his property to connect. What's an easement? Basically saying, like, we'll we'll help you do it. We'll allow you to go through our property instead of around. Well, because he's going to have to connect, too, so they could work together exactly. and get it done. That's basically what it was. So people said that Cody offered this. Marvin said that that never happened, and Cody absolutely refused to let him connect through his property. Hmm. So, again... Who do you believe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you never know. Th- like, that's why this one's so tough. <laughs> so, Marvin hired a lawyer in order to file a lawsuit in district court against the building of the concrete plant. Mm. He said that they were constructing it illegally. They said that he thought that they were giving Cody permits that weren't exactly right. They mm-hmm. were kind of giving him permits to build it, even though... Like, if they would have given him the right permit, he would have had to do more things in order to... Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, they were giving him, instead of, like, a factory permit, they were giving him just, like, a house permit. I don't know if that's true, mm. but you know what I mean? Yeah, they they were basically... Marvin said they were bending the rules yes. in order to accommodate their friend. Right, exactly. So, the lawsuit was eventually dismissed, which only angered Marvin more. So, he lost thousands of dollars in court fees and paying his lawyer. And he actually blamed his lawyer for not being more aggressive because he wanted to file an appeal. And the lawyer said that, like, it wasn't going to work. And Marvin said, you're just swindling me out of money. And then the lawyer's like, well, I would have done the appeal if I wanted your money because then you would have had to pay me more. So, it was, like, a Mm -hmm. really big back and forth thing. That's another person in town that he alienated because he was mad at them. Now, yeah. again, was the lawyer on his side or not? It depends on if you believe Marvin or not. Since nothing was being resolved, still with his water and sewage line, he was fined by the municipal court $100 a day until he could connect. So they were stepping it up. So he eventually wrote a check to them, but on the memo line, he wrote something along the lines of, this is to all the liars and cheaters in on the town board whatever i don't know so the check was actually returned to him because it had a error in the amount so the amount he wrote like number wise and then the amount he wrote out Mm -hmm. in like letters like didn't agree okay so it was returned to him he confronted deb harris who's working as the town clerk Mm-hmm. And she helped him discover the mistake, and they fixed it, and he was allowed to pay the fine. Mm-hmm. But by this time, like, all of his relationships in town were deteriorating. Yeah. So he accused Deb of, according to her, he accused her of, like, talking bad about him at the bank, and all these people on the city board laughed at him as he walked by, and Deb was like, you just wrote the wrong thing on the check, I don't know what mm-hmm. you're talking about, but again... He, you know, she could have been. We don't know. We don't know. And you don't he's know. Spiraling either way. Like, yeah, either absolutely. Way. So another individual who Marvin came to despise was Patrick Brower. So he was a local newspaper writer. 
Uh, Brower wanted to advertise Marvin's business in this, you know, time span that this all was happening. Brower, it's B-R-O-W-E-R, sorry. Probably Brower, yeah. Brower claimed that he went to the muffler shop to try and talk to Marvin several times, but he said Marvin was never there because he was snowmobiling with his friends, which he was one to do. Well, on the other hand, Marvin claimed that Brower never tried to approach him about the advertisement and said that, like, he had agreed to do it and then never showed up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Eventually, an ad was ran. Brower said it was ran for free. So, I don't really know how that was resolved. But in Marvin's mind, he was still mad about this for some reason. Well, and also, I think that Brower was kind of going against him. With all this stuff. I mean, he was a local newspaper writer. Mm -hmm. He probably wrote about the disagreements and things like that. Oh, sure. Or about the concrete plant. Yeah. Well, I would say that because Marvin's not allowed to be running his business right now, Mm -hmm. having that advertisement makes him look bad. Mm -hmm. Because if people show up at his business, it's closed. Right. So, I mean, I would be mad at him for... Yeah. Doing that if he knows, because he has to know what's going on. Right. Well, and I don't know the exact time frame of this... The documentary kind of cut back and forth a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I just know that they had, like, this big disagreement about it. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he was a local newspaper writer, so I'm assuming something else happened. Yeah. With all of this, or with the gambling situation, too. That he had. Because he was trying to get le- gambling legalized. Oh. So, it also could have been that the guy wrote about that. Could be. And maybe it was good or bad, and Marvin just took it the wrong way. You know what I mean? It could have been anything. I don't really know. Because this guy could have been trying to do him a favor, but if it was during the time when Marvin was closed, like, he knew he was closed and couldn't do anything right. on it. It's not help helping, even if he thinks it is. It's a mess. It's yeah. all a mess, but continue. Yeah, <laughs> it's a mess. So, Marvin recalls that inspiration hit one night when he was sitting in a hot tub after he had cried because he was so fed up with everything that was happening. Uh-oh. So, in July of 2002... Marvin went to a Richie Bros auction in California and purchased a Cosmatsu D355 bulldozer Uh-oh. for a great price. So Richie Bros auction, they just sell a bunch of like heavy machinery from what I saw. So he bought this bulldozer and he put it on a flatbed truck and he drove it back and he sat it outside of his muffler shop. And it went unused for the next year. So he bought this in, like, yeah, July 2002. So for a whole year, he just set it outside. And a lot of his friends think he just did this as, like, a intimidation factor. Don't really know how, but, you know. Is he still paying $100 a day, you think? The check that they showed was, like, a bulk amount. Mm. So So he's just like, here, take this. It'll cover whatever. Uh, Yeah. So, Marvin eventually tried to sell his property, and Cody wanted to buy it. However, every time Cody said he would pay for it, Marvin would up the price. This is what people say. Right. Marvin was offering $250,000, and Cody said, okay. And Marvin said, well, no, I don't actually want that. I want $375,000. And Cody said, okay, and Marvin was like, "Mm, no, I actually don't want to sell it to you. So, in the end... Marvin put his property up for auction. So he basically put his property, the bulldozer, everything on his lot that he had up for sale. Wow. So everything went except for the actual property and the bulldozer. And I believe it's because he set their bidding prices like really high. Yeah. So in the fall of 2003, 
Travis Boosie, B-U-S-S-E, Boose, Travis Boose, hmm. began to lease two, the two acres from Marv in order to run his trash company. Okay. And he wanted a place to store his trucks and stuff. Marvin already had garages on the property. Sure. And he didn't have anything in them now because he sold everything else in auction. Mm -hmm. So they made this agreement. Travis would take the bigger garages and use it to park his trucks or do whatever they needed to do. Mm -hmm. And then Marvin could have a smaller garage in the back where he parked his bulldozer. Okay. And it barely fit in there, but he made it work. Sure. Because it's like a huge bulldozer. Right. It's a big boy. So, not long after this agreement, Travis purchased the entire property for $400,000. That's a lot. How many acres was it? Around two, but it already had buildings on it. It already had, you know what I mean? Like, it it already had some things that they needed. A couple things about this money. Marvin thought that that's what it was worth. All the trouble that he went through, whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that Marvin was just trying to make a profit off of it. Mm-hmm. And so he sold it for a lot of money. Travis seemed happy with the deal. He was so, chill about it. Yeah, he was fine. So this $400,000 was taken by Marvin and sent to his father in increments, where his father later dispersed it to his other siblings. He had like three siblings. So they kind of, he, he sent some to his family. Okay. So Marvin eventually gave away his cabin and most of his snowmobiles, and he back-rented the single garage where he put his bulldozer, and he just lived there. Okay. (laughs) He made it work. So, funny enough, Travis had water and sewage hooked up within a few days. It could have been that Cody wasn't letting Marvin and let him. That was what Marvin thought, but we don't really know how it happened. He just had it hooked up and ready to go, and he was running his business. Well, part of it, I would say, is that by now, Cody's already hooked up. Yep. So, it's a lot easier. I don't know exactly how it works. Mm. If you have to go from your business straight to the main line. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or if they already have a line. They could probably share it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if they already have a line out to Cody's, can you run a line from right across the street? Yeah. Or maybe Cody said, you can go under my business. Right. And it was a different deal. Yeah. But either way, it's a lot easier for him to do it. Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, everybody kind of had a fairly good agreement between Travis and Marvin. Like, they were fine. Marvin began living and working in his garage. Not many people really knew what he was working on. Um, he would be very secretive about it. If people asked him, he was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, working on my snowmobiles or whatever. <laughs> and then he would actually sleep during the day when Travis's men were there. And then when they left for work, he would get up and people would see him, you know, lights on in the garage doing whatever he had mm-hmm. to do. Travis never really thought anything about it. He's just like, oh, Marv's a weird guy. We've never had any issues. Like, that's his... He rents it. He rents it, whatever. Like, I'm not going to go back there. They did have to inspect his garage at one point for, like, insurance purposes. And, like, they never never found anything weird. Like, the the bulldozer was there. It had tarps on it. So, like, everybody was like, oh, okay, Marvin just lives here and does whatever he wants to do. By this point, he had a lot of money. So, they were like, because he got $400,000. So, they're like, oh, he probably just snowmobiles and works on the snowmobiles. Well, he has other businesses too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, like he's fine. Mm-hmm. So this happened throughout the winter of 2003 into the spring of 2004. You know, he's just kind of hanging out there. Nobody really talks to him. He's a little secluded. In the midst of this, he and Trisha broke up. Um, They saw each other one other time when he went to the dentist's office that she worked at. 
she hugged him and basically said, listen, you need to get out of there. You need to move, you know, find somewhere else to live, start over. You are totally fine. Like, go have fun, snowmobile. Don't worry about these people or anything like that. He basically told her, like, she was the best thing that ever happened to him. Oh. It was really sad in the interview. She was really cute. So he still snowmobiled with his friends, and he made plans with them to ride in the future. He was like, let's plan this trip. He went to Florida, hung out with some of his friends in Florida. They were going to meet up and all that. So everything seemed normal. It's going to pop off, isn't it's it? It's going to pop off. It's going to pop off. And I and I'm <laughs> Are concerned. you ready? <laughs> I don't think so. But, like, what did he do to the bulldozer? I don't... <laughs> what did he do to the bulldozer? If it doesn't have flamethrowers on it, I will be disappointed. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't. that's upsetting. Okay, we'll continue. So, on June 4th, 2004, everybody finally figured out what Marvin was doing in his garage. Oh, boy. At about 2 o'clock... In the afternoon? Yes, in the afternoon... Um, his bulldozer came barreling out of his garage. Now, it didn't quite look like a bulldozer anymore. No, it probably was like a tank. <laughs> exactly. Marvin had been welding sheets of one half inch steel together with spacers in between so that he could pour concrete in between the sheets. So it was steel, concrete, steel. He then made his own lift, hydraulic lift. To hook these two, he would lift them up with the lift, and he would put them in a position, and he would weld them onto the bulldozer. Remember, he's a great welder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I know. a great welder. In order to see, because if you look at pictures, which we'll post pictures, it imagine a bulldozer. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, Wait. Okay. <laughs> there's like a cab. Yeah. Couldn't see the cab. No, I'm sure you could. The only thing you could see that was still yellow was the dump truck. Not the dump truck. Like the bulldozer part that you would push things with. Yeah, I don't know what that's called. The I scoop, don't either. The scoopy. The scoop, the lift. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Everything else was covered in this I don't steel. know bulldozer anatomy. Everything. Everything. Like, yeah. you couldn't see anything. You could see the tread, like the wheels, mm. and like that pushy thing. <laughs> Bucket. Bucket? Bucket. No. Well, it's like you don't want to scoop anything up with that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. In order to see, because, like, you couldn't see him. Like, when it first came out, nobody knew who was driving it. They didn't even know if anybody was in there. Um, In order to see, they found out that he had put cameras on the outside and that he had monitors on the inside. What the heck? And that he had thought this through and he had put tubes, like, from, they were near the cameras, ran into the bulldozer cab and they were connected to compressed air so if they got like dirty. debris or dirty he could press it and then blow it off and then he could still see so he also the only like spots that were not covered in steel were like he had little holes in the back where he had put a gun out of so that he could Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. Shoot people with, essentially. Yikes. Unbeknownst to anyone, Marvin had been turning his bulldozer into a tank that he was going to use to destroy the town. Oh, everything. Yeah. Everything. Absolutely. Cody's concrete plant was first. Absolutely. Now, remember, it's right next door. Mm-hmm. 
So he literally came smashing out of his garage and headed straight towards the concrete plant. So a 911 call from an employee at the trash company named Sherry, she called 911 and she's trying to describe the bulldozer, but like, you need to get someone here. She's very calm about it, but she's like, I don't know who's in it. I don't know what's happening. It's it's a mess. I think that's the only... I didn't hear what she was saying. Yeah. But when I heard you, I didn't hear any of the documentary other than 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. Because they have the recording, right? Yes. Okay. Because I, I didn't listen to it. Yeah. So I don't know what she said. But I did hear that. I was like, oh, that's weird. She's very calm. And she's just like, there's a bulldozer. It's attacking the concrete, Cody's concrete plant. Like, you need to get somebody here right away. Because, like, again, everybody's, like, in shock. Mm-hmm. So Cody was called over the radio because they have radios. I'm assuming like walkie-talkies or whatever. Probably. Someone calls him, the lady working the front desk, and he runs to the scene because it's literally destroyed, like going into his, the front of his building, pulling out, going into the front of his building, pulling out, moving oh, over, yeah. going into the front of his building. Like it's destroying it. So one of his employees has a handgun, don't know who, and they give it to Cody and Cody tries to shoot the bulldozer. Well, nothing happens, obviously. Well, no, yeah. So, Larry Thompson, who had a business nearby, was like, okay, well, if we, like, we can't get into it, so if we can stop the tread, because you could still see, like, the tires, Mm -hmm. then he can't go anywhere. So, they tried to grab, like, iron rods and, like, throw them into the, um, like, the wheels. Right, and try and jam it up. To try to jam it up, try and get him to stop, but it didn't work. They didn't have big Mm -hmm. enough pieces, like, they just couldn't do it. Someone tried to climb onto the bulldozer, but they couldn't get, like, enough footing while it was mm-hmm. moving. So, they basically were just like, oh, God, okay, don't try that. You'll get run over. And then police were on their way, but, like, they didn't have a plane either. So, when they showed up, they were just like, okay, like, I guess we could shoot at it. You know what I mean? But nothing really happened. Shoot it with? So, Cody jumped into a front end loader. Which I think is one that has more of, like, a bucket rather than, like, a push thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he tried to, like, ram into the bulldozer, but, like, it's it was minuscule compared to this bulldozer. Like, the bulldozer mm-hmm. he had was huge. So, like, he was ramming into it, but his vehicle was actually lifting off the ground. Yeah, I'm sure. And he actually at one point smacked his head off of the steering wheel and knocked himself out. Oh, no. When he came to... Marvin was, like, shooting at him with his gun. Luckily, like, he didn't get hit or anything. It only hit, like, the bucket part. Um, But he basically got out of there. He was like, okay, we're done. We can't stop it. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. And he, they were like, this is too much for us. And, like, him and his employees, like, dispersed immediately. Mm -hmm. By that time, a lot more police had come as well. So police surrounded the area. But, again, little could be done. They tried shooting at it. But, like, their guns weren't getting anywhere. So they didn't really know how to stop him. And then he was, like, shooting back at them so they can't get, like, too close. And they were hiding behind, like, their police cars and then some, like, concrete barriers that were in the area. Mm-hmm. And Marvin just started ch- basically chasing them and destroying their cars and destroying the concrete barriers. And so they had to, like, run away because if 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 not, like, they were going to die. They were going to get crushed. Yeah. They were going to get crushed. So by this point, police confirmed that Marvin was the one driving the bulldozer because they kind of figured it out. I'm assuming Travis and some of his employees were like, Marvin was in there, so we're assuming, like, it was, it's yeah. him. Or they went to be like, hey, someone go check on Marvin. Yeah, and then he and wasn't there. he wasn't there, and you, right. know, you put two and two together after that. 
So they also confirmed that this probably wasn't going to be the only place that he was going to try to attack. Oh, no. So after he was done with the concrete plant, he turned and started to get on the highway. He drove towards the main part of town. Deputies were basically evacuating the town because it's slow. Like the bulldozer's mm-hmm. fairly, I mean, it's quick, but it's slow. You could probably outrun it. Um, at the same time this was happening, Officer Glenn was actually able to climb on top of the bulldozer. He was hoping to find, like, a hatch or something like that. Couldn't find one. There's nothing there. He himself in there. Yeah. Essentially, I don't, I don't even know how he got in there. Like, nobody knows. Because um, on top was, like, an air conditioning fan, but it was, like, still the steel and concrete. So he couldn't mm-hmm. get it up. So he tried to, like, shoot his gun into, like, the fan, the air conditioning fan, but, like, that didn't work. And then they tried, they tossed him, like, flash grenades, Mm -hmm. and he tried to throw that down the exhaust, but, like, that didn't work. Cody, or not Cody, Marvin had basically, like, covered every possible exit hole that you could think of. He covered it up somehow, so, like, nothing was working. Well, that's what I'm saying. He might have loaded himself in. Yeah, I, yeah. figured out how to, like, move into the interior and just weld it close. Right. Nothing was slowing the bulldozer down, and not that... This is funny at all, but there's, like, video of it because people, like, grab their home recorders mm-hmm. or, like, they took pictures. And, like, for part of it, Glenn is just, like, sitting on top of it. Because, like, now he can't get he's down. Just like, he, now he can't do anything and he, like, can't get down. And so, like, it's just him holding on for dear life. The bulldozer started to attack Mountain Parks Electric, which some members of the board worked there. So there's okay. a guy in the documentary who saw over part of the proceedings with the concrete plant because he wasn't like in charge but the people above him were had like conflicts of interest Mm -hmm. so he basically was the one who kind of helped decide everything that went Mm -hmm. down so um marvin decided to attack that um he then moved towards town hall which was actually on the second floor of a building the first floor was a public library they have the librarian tess riley she was part of the interview and she basically was like there was a reverse 911 call that told several places to shelter in place and she said and then she's like i got a 911 call that said you need to get everyone out of that library as fast as you can <laughs> and she said oh, no. so we did so they grabbed everybody and basically put them into whatever vehicles they cuz there were kids there too mm-hmm. whatever vehicles they had and they drove them to their respective homes mm-hmm. eventually got them home so luckily nobody was in there when he destroyed the building Jeez. Glenn also took this opportunity to finally jump off the bulldozer. Good for him. <laughs> Somehow he got down. I don't know. Good job, Glenn. <laughs> so the next building targeted was Sky High News, where Patrick Brower worked. He was there at the time. It was like him and a couple other people. And he... So they're kind of figuring out where he's probably going to go. Yeah. So they called the station and were basically like, you need to get out. There's a bulldozer on its way. And him and the employees were literally running out the back door as Marvin was destroying the front of the building. The building eventually collapsed completely. Um, And (laughs) Patrick tried to take, like, he, like, had his camera, so he ran over to, like, take a picture, and he's like, then he started shooting at us. So I was like, this ain't my scene. And he, like, ran (laughs) off. And I was like, good decision, buddy. My thing is, like, I don't want to, I know you're on a roll. No, go for it. But, like, the, most of these businesses... Or buildings are covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. 
I understand that it's your business and it's sort of like it's your place of work. Like it's very yeah. important to you. But I'm glad that so far nobody thought it was worth their life. Oh yeah. To stay and they were just like, we can't fight against this. Back up. N- nobody could do anything. And the yeah. police were the police couldn't do anything. No. They were just literally following the bulldozer, walking or riding in their cars, just calling people. Because at this point, they're like, we're going to have to wait until it breaks down or it runs out of gas. Runs out of gas is what I'm thinking. Like, mm-hmm. what else are you going to do? Right. They're like, they couldn't do anything. Call the National Guard? They did. The National Guard okay. was eventually called. I don't think they, I don't think they got there by the time it was over, but yeah. they were called. I but, mean, that's, that's the only thing yeah. that I would think to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now they have a plan in place, a place. I guarantee right. you that this town has a plan in case of maybe heavily armored bulldozer <laughs> does it again i don't know okay continue so the next stop on the bulldozers rampage was the thompson residence so he actually went after their house first and then like went after their various places of business wow thelma thompson the mom was home and her sons were like calling her and the one son was like you need get in your car and drive out of town drive out of town as fast as you can and she thought he said that she kind of thought it was a joke and he was like no you need to get out of town right now and she did luckily she got out and um he destroyed the house like it was demolished and then he went after a lot of their businesses and he knocked over and destroyed like trucks and cars that they used for their businesses at what as well the next thing he did was he moved towards Independent Propane, which was a company that had tanks of propane. Um, there were a lot of residents that lived nearby, so the police were trying to evacuate them because, again, they can't do anything well, to stop Well, it could them. also explode. Right. So. That's what they were thinking was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So he actually did try to shoot at the tanks, but luckily the way his armor was, he couldn't move his... The pushy thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> couldn't move it the right way so wow. he, maybe yeah so every time he shot he kept hitting his armor or that in some way that he couldn't get a clear shot of the propane takes so he kind of like left it to be and they're like oh thank god <laughs> the county has like earth movers or things like that which are they're really long that you just put dirt in them and they move they, in the video is really long but it was very short Okay. So it wasn't, like, huge. And they tried to stop him, but, like, it was just tipping them right over. So Marvin made his way back to Main Street to destroy Gamble's store, which was owned by Casey Farrell, who was one of the board members. Mm -hmm. The bulldozer, at this point, lost its antifreeze. What happened was it started to overheat. Right. So the engine started to overheat, and it was losing power. So Marvin took one last swing, destroying the entire left-hand side of the building. So he was just trying to push it all out. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, um, there was a basement under Gamble's that not everybody, like, he didn't know about it. And uh. so as he was pushing the wall, his bulldozer fell, like, one of the tracks uh. fell into the basement and he got stuck. Okay. The police surrounded him and they moved, they put one of those earth movers on, like, either side of him. So, like, if he did get out, like... He couldn't really go anywhere quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the machine shut down. So by this point, the police are like, he's going to come out shooting. Like, we're going to have yeah. to have a gunfight. But um, none of that happened. So Marvin Hemeyer ended up taking his own life 
after destroying countless buildings, cars, homes, and public property. So the town was split in their feelings on this. Some thought that Marvin's anger got the best of him, which clouded his judgment mm-hmm. and didn't let him have a discussion to understand where the other people were coming from. Mm-hmm. While his friends thought that he was treated really poorly and mm-hmm. that people were out to get him because he wasn't, he was an outsider. Yeah. He wasn't from the town. So in the documentary, you get the video of what was happening mm-hmm. and a lot of interviews from people close to him. So you get mm-hmm. both sides. So it's very sad because yeah. you don't like the people that are close to him that were friends with him are like crying because their friend yeah. died. And they well, probably had no idea it was coming. That's the thing. Like, no, no, they didn't. Because they said that his his ex girlfriend saw him like two weeks before it happened. Mm-hmm. He was going snowmobiling with his friend. They had made plans for mm-hmm. later in the month. Like they had no idea. Which is which is weird for maybe not weird. I don't know. If you watch like Criminal Minds and they try and stick to certain things, not exactly. I know it's TV, but. Um, somebody, what we also learn in school is people who, um, intend to commit suicide, they pull themselves in and isolate themselves Mm -hmm. and they cancel plans and they push people further away. Right. And they do things so they like try and cut ties. Yeah. A lot of times. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me that he was still making plans. Right. And he was like still kind of like out and about once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also could have been that he was trying not to be suspicious, I guess. Because yeah. he wasn't, he is going to do all of this before. So. Or it might not have been his plan to, to take his life. Yeah. Well, so after that happened, I don't know. Because they could not get him out. Oh. They tried to plant explosives and try and like blow part of it off. And they, they couldn't. Because they tried to do it quickly because they were like, well, did he, like, is he still alive? Yeah. And then, like, later on, they were basically, like, there's he's dead by now. Like, he's got mm-hmm. to be. So, they had to basically, like, get a saw. I think he did plan to kill himself because he couldn't get out. But mm-hmm. also, in the documentary, he basically records a suicide mm-hmm. note. And that's why part of this is the documentary is interesting, too, because you actually hear him explaining why he's mad at these people. Things like that. So Marvin believed that God wanted him to take revenge. And he says that if God wanted him to not do what he did, then he would have been caught. And he lists, like, throughout his thing, like, the things that went his way that he took as a sign to do what he did. So one of those things was he got the bulldozer for a great price. The other, the second thing is that when he tried to auction off everything, nobody bought the property and no one bought the bulldozer. But basically everything else was auctioned off. Mm -hmm. Third thing, the bulldozer fit into his small garage that he rented from Travis by inches. By like two inches it fit in the garage. And he took that as, well, if it wouldn't have fit, then... I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have been able to do it. Then he said that, like, they had that walkthrough of his garage for insurance purposes. They didn't look at the bulldozer. Didn't look at the bulldozer. He made up a story, and he says it, like, on the tape, that he made up a story about it, and they just believed him. Didn't even look. And he was like, they would have looked. Like, they would have caught me if, like, 
I wasn't supposed to do this. And then one of the last things was he basically said that no one came to him in this amount of time because it took him almost a year. Yeah, yeah. He said, nobody came to me and nobody said anything that changed my mind, essentially. Sounds like he was, and I don't know, but um, he may have been very mentally ill as well. Yeah. It could be, and I don't know. But, like, there are certain conditions where you think, um, there's, there's one where you think that people are madly in love with you because they look at you a certain way. Right. And, like, oh, she held her pencil that way. It was a, it was a secret sign. Yeah. So, like, there's things like that that are kind of weird that you don't really know until you talk to them and see. Yeah. So, well, it, and it could have been he was, like... Like, at the auction with Cody and Gus, oh, they looked at me the wrong way. They wanted that property. Right. Well, he was he was definitely, and I don't know if it's definitely, he was paranoid to an extent. Yeah. Now, whether that's because of the amount of stress he was put on because mm-hmm. of things they actually did. Yeah. Or whether he was already a paranoid person. Yeah. And then he spiraled. I don't know. Right. So, it could have been that, you know, the stress just built up or could have been that he was already ha- struggling with a mental illness and this, right. like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. It. That's true. Um, so that's basically the end of my story. I have a couple like tidbits for after the fact. Um, luckily, no one was hurt. Good. Um, however, no one was reimbursed from like Marvin's money and assets because if he you gave remember, it all away. gave it all away. I I figured. Okay. So was that premeditated that he gave it to his dad, or was it? Oh, I'll give my family some money. But a lot of people think he did it on purpose oh, and he was sure planning he this from the beginning. He he planned this for a very long time. Yeah. I think that when he purchased the bulldozer and left it sit, he was already like, I think I'll do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. And then, I mean, because he even said it. If they would have come in to, nobody bought the bulldozer, nobody yeah. bought the, um, like, property. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, right there, he's already thinking about it. Like, yeah. he bought that oh, bulldozer yeah, absolutely. for a reason. Absolutely. So, the bulldozer was eventually broken down into small pieces. Some people think it should have been put in a museum. Um, Some people think that they should have put it somewhere. Um, Other people think it's a good thing because now no one can, like, recreate it in a way. Mm -hmm. No one can make a shrine to it because Mm -hmm. I read in an article that some people took this as, like, they thought he was, like, a great guy and was anti-government. In a way. Oh, I see, yeah. So, there's, like, if you Google it, there's people that are on his side. And again, I mean, maybe he was, maybe they were out to get him. Yeah. You will never know. Um, So, they kind of think it's a good idea that they didn't, like, keep it all intact. Um, And then the last thing I have was that this made, like, national news Mm -hmm. for one night because the next day... Ronald Reagan died. And so that's why a lot of people don't know about it because, like, that clearly overshadowed this incident. Yeah. So. I think, going back to the, the, the thing before that, breaking down the bulldozer, I think that there's pros and cons to that because yeah. I think that it would have been beneficial 
for law enforcement or military or National Guard to study what he did. Yeah. And make a plan for, okay, if this happened again. And they might have. They might have. Um, but I do see the, like, you probably should not have. Because uh, I thought, too, oh, the, this town is probably known for this. Mm-hmm. They could have, like, a statue built to it or something. Mm-hmm. I know it's a horrible thing that happened, yeah. but, like, a memorial. Right. But at the same time, you don't want somebody being, like, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and again, it depends on which way you go because his friends, I mean, they think he was in, uh, not necessarily that he should have destroyed the town, but they basically were like, people pushed him to this. He wouldn't have done it if they would have not been out to get him kind of thing. Yeah. I think they were on the side of you can only push a person so far before they break right yeah yeah absolutely and you all didn't do anything to Mm -hmm. help the situation right and that's why like the documentary is just sad because you see both sides and like do i think he should have destroyed the town no obviously not like that's Mm -hmm. horrible but who knows who who am i supposed to believe yeah as far as the the events leading up to yeah like maybe some of it was true Mm -hmm. and some of it was like you never know so i I think it's very interesting that none of his, none of the people close to him saw this coming. Yeah. Like, they knew he was angry. Clearly, Mm -hmm. they knew he was angry because they think he was somewhat justified. Yeah, well, his girlfriend basically said that, like, she knew he was upset, but he never let on that he was this upset by Mm -hmm. it. Because they were mad about it, too, obviously, because they're his friends, Mm -hmm. but they were like... We still went snowmobiling. Like, he seemed fine. He seemed content just to go out and have fun with us kind of mm-hmm. thing. We never knew he was this mad about it. Yeah. So, which is just interesting to me. Because then it's like, okay, was he, like, when did this mental break occur? Yeah. That he was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Because right. I don't think he was a bad person. Right. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think so I either. think that she, like I said, he either had a, like, a mental health like break yeah or the stress caused him to like lose sanity in yeah somewhat. yeah but but where was that in his everyday life that nobody like knew what was right. happening yeah that's just crazy to me yeah it's wild i i highly 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 recommend documentary it was very well done mm-hmm. and you meet a lot of the people i mean you meet a lot of his friends and you also meet the people that he targeted mm-hmm. and so it's very interesting to get both sides of the story and that's why like at the end of it Clearly, I don't want him to destroy the town, but, I, I mean, you're conflicted because his, I mean, his friends are, like, crying over this. Yeah. And it's, like. Because they thought he was a good, they they still see him as the person he was before this Right, happened. exactly. I'm sure they don't agree with his solution yeah, to it. Yeah, no, 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 no. But no. they. They're basically, like, people pushed him to do this, mm-hmm. and they were out to get him, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. So, but. And it's tread. Yeah, it's called Tread, um, T-R-E-A-D. It's on, document. it's a documentary directed by Paul Solette. It's on Amazon Prime. I don't know if you can find it anywhere else. That was just the quickest way for me to get but it. it's like 99 cents. It's 99 cents to rent. It's very, very good. So I recommend that. I recommend listening to the True Crime Obsessed podcast that they did an episode about it. Very funny. I really like that podcast. They make it funny. Obviously, yeah. it's not a funny yeah, situation. Yeah. Um, then I'll post my other sources on our website, um, bugandarug.podbean.com I don't know you have to be careful on if you look it up what sources you use because again a lot of sources are opinion pieces on if he was right or not 
So they're interesting to read, but again, I don't know where they're getting their information. I don't know if it's true. I don't know whose is true, you know, kind of thing. So you just have to be careful with that. Um, We'll post pictures. It's fascinating to see what he did. I'm sure. I'm very interested to see. Another thing I just want to sneak in here, I know that you're, you're wrapping up, but like, I think that the angle of some people think he was, like, the anti-government, like, anarchy, I guess, would be, like, the yeah. the thing. But um, it's interesting to me because I don't necessarily think he was out to kill people, or I think he would have No, but those that. people aren't saying that. No, 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 I know, I know. But I'm saying I think that just, like, furthers the point of I, I know he shouldn't have done these things, but... At the same time, I don't think murder was his intention. I think it was more like, you ruined my business, so I'm going to ruin, so ruin your yeah, business. It I, wasn't like, I'm right. going to kill you for ruining my business. Right. I think it was kind of like an eye for eye. Yeah. I had to shut down my shop, so I'm going to close yours. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying it it kind of makes more sense from the anarchy perspective and yeah. why you don't want people studying what he did. Because right. Because right. I can see how some people would really get on board. Yeah, and some people did. Like some of the articles right. I read, I was like, oh boy. So, again, be careful what you look at. Yeah. Because it's just, I mean, interesting read. Read it all. Take both oh, yeah. sides for sure. Yeah. But, but just be mindful that some people are very passionate about it. Both yeah. ways. Both and, ways. Absolutely. And they will sway you one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, I, for I sure. I like that it was so right down the middle with what you Yeah, that, that's why I like the documentary because they definitely had people of all angles. And even some of the people who were a part of the city board were like, they didn't think he was a bad guy. They just think he had a distorted view on what they were trying to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody called him a bad guy. Um, but we'll post pictures on yes. our Instagram and Twitter at BIAR Podcast. We will post stuff on Facebook. It's just Bug and a Rug. If you want to reach out to us and, um, I don't know, let us know what to do next, you can email us at BIARpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'm all up for ideas. Yeah, we, we'd love to hear from you because yeah. we, you know, we look for things and come up with things, but, um, like, we get suggestions, which we love, and then, like, last week I just saw somebody shared a topic on their Facebook page, yeah. and I kind of ran with it, so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Inspiration is wonderful, and we appreciate it from you because you're the ones who listen. Yep. Absolutely. So, do you think this story's going to keep you up at night? You still think you'll be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug? I am eager to see pictures, and I'm eager to watch this documentary. documentary. So, I don't know if I'll do that tonight, but I think that it was really fascinating. And I'm glad you picked this topic, because I had no idea about it, and I think it'll definitely keep me thinking. Yeah, it's a new documentary, too. It, like, just came out recently, so. So, not in a creepy sense, but in a contemplative mind. Yes. Thank you. Very good story. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, signing off. I'm Caitlin. I'm Whitney. Bye. Sleep tight.